We're back. It's the Football Faithful podcast, and after a bit of a break due to various foreseen and unforeseen circumstances and an international break that really drove home everything we love about the beautiful game, there's a weekend of Premier League action to look forward to. Joining me to do that, as always, is Peter Henry. Hi, Peter. How's it going, lads? Good now. Uh, Anthony Kelly's there as well. Hi, Ant. How are we doing, lads? You okay? Good, good, good. And a special congratulations to you. You got married during the break? I did, mate, yeah. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, survived it. A bit knackered <laughs> and worn out. But yeah, still here, mate. Still here. And uh, Deck Coleman's there as well. How are you, you Deck? How's it going? All right. Not too bad. Well, like I said, it's been a, it's been a long old break with the unbelievably depressing international break in there but we'll start then with the uh, the big tie I suppose it's the big tie of the weekend that's on Sunday that's uh, Man United versus Liverpool and uh, I'll just go to uh, check my notes there uh, Liverpool of course top eight points clear that's wonderful and United uh, oh I need to go to the second page down in 12th Peter is this even a uh, well actually Ant I might go to you first is this the most confident you've ever been going into one of these fixtures no <laughs> <laughs> No, not at all. This is the thing. It's all being whipped up, isn't it? You know, oh, Liverpool are sure to win there. United have got everyone's injured. And I think um, I, I'm never confident going into this fixture. It's like the Merseyside derby a few years ago, uh, back in the 90s, I suppose, when Everton used to be perpetually in a relegation fight, but they'd always have those two games a season against Liverpool. And I, I mean, if you're looking at this from a Manchester United perspective, you've got nothing to lose, really. You know, OK, there's players injured and the form's bad, but, you know, that all goes out the window. It's still one that it's still arguably the biggest game in world football between the two of the biggest um, teams in world football. So, you know, if, if Man United players can't step up for that, the fans will certainly step up. So if the, if the players can't, then there really are, you know, irreversible problems at Manchester United. So I think, looking at it for me, Liverpool head, the, the players have had a bit of a psychological block at Old Trafford in the league over the past few years. On the flip side, they have matured a lot as a team. The, 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 the run of form they're on is incredible. Um, I've never known anything like it as a Liverpool supporter. So there is that. But if they can get around their mental hurdle of Old Trafford away in the league, then... You know, that would be fantastic. But I do think it is a bit of a monkey on our shoulder. You can remember last season, I've never seen a first half like it when all those plays went off injured. And I think it kind of stalled down momentum a little bit. But we just didn't show up in that game. Um, you know, it was, it was a nil-nil. It was fairly comfortable for Manchester United defensively. We were a little bit slow. Our, you know, our transitions weren't as fast as they were. Where, again, whether that was fatigue, whether that momentum, the injuries had, had, had stalled the game a little bit. But... I just look into look into this fixture, and you know, everyone's saying Liverpool are going to are going to breeze it. But how many times in football have we seen you know a surprise sprung? So, you know, I suppose in a long protracted answer to your question, Sam, I'm not 100% confident of victory. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Deck, I, I think you might be a little bit more confident, but I want to talk about more generally about Liverpool and eight points clear. This is insane. It's been a perfect start, I suppose, in in many ways. In many ways, it hasn't been perfect, but. The points on the board and the eight wins from eight is perfect, and it's as perfect as you can get at this stage. So there has to be there has to be confidence going into this game. What, um, what what's the problem then that you're talking about? As Ant touched on, like it's it's United. You you can't you can't say that it's a gimme. Like you know, it it's been something like ten games since Liverpool won at Old Trafford. So there's going to be that United are going to be up for the game. They've been absolutely abysmal, so they have to respond in this game. So that's going to make it more difficult. The pressure is on Liverpool as well because of the the really good start that they've had. So maybe that intensifies it a bit. I think um, it's been well documented that Liverpool are always better in years gone by when they're chasing rather than leading. So that's the longer this this lead goes on, the more kind of worried and and shaky I'm getting about it. I think there's going to be seeds of doubt in in Liverpool fans' minds because. It's it's Old Trafford. It's United. It's been so long since we've won a game there, and that's why there's going to be doubt. I think United have have two games that on paper look easier coming up, but I think actually this game is probably their easiest because it's easy for them to, as I said, it's easy for them to get up for this game. And Liverpool now being the leaders and and having to to set the standard is where I'd have a bit of uh, worry that. It might go tits up at some stage, but uh, I said that a couple of weeks ago as well. It, it's it's when we're leading is when I get most worried. So I'd be interested to hear what Peter says because it's 
from a United perspective, it's probably one that's a little bit more, there's more to look into. Liverpool just have to keep doing what they're doing at the moment. And to be fair, it's, it's going well. So I'd hope that we can keep doing it. But I'd be really interested to hear what United fans think about this kind of game. Uh, go on then, Peter, because uh, we come into this game off the back of a nil-nil draw with Adzad uh, and a 1-0 loss to Newcastle. So, uh, I mean... I don't know. <laughs> where where do you, are, are, I I feel the only the only hopeful thing, the only good thing I heard out of all of that from the two boys was that at least they're going to be nervous for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, I don't. I I think what I think what they're really trying to get at, get at is that they're actually afraid that they'll be embarrassed. Be, <laughs> honestly, honestly, Man United have become so bad lately. And it's not just the last two results. It's going back 17, 18 games. You know, it, like we lost in Newcastle in the last game, who most people will put down as the worst team in the Premier League. Um, you know, anyone who's watched United over the last couple of months, there's no style of play. There's no patterns to their play. It looks like that. It looked like people used to say the players weren't playing for Mourinho. It doesn't look like they're playing for Solskjaer anymore either. I, even the games after this, you know, you've got Partizan Belgrade away. That that sounds like a banana scale for a mentally weak, weak team. You've got Norwich away, and then you've Chelsea away. Like, I would kind of, I, I I can't see where Man United are going to get a win from. I can't see where they're going to score a goal from next. If I'm perfectly honest, and I think that scares Liverpool fans because if they go there and they can't beat us at our <laughs> lowest point, then then it, like. Uh, you know, it would be so satisfying to go, well, you can't even beat us now, you know what I mean? To end, because Liverpool also have, you know, going to equal the unbeaten run in the Premier League. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah there's a lot right on it. Consecutive wins. So, like, I would agree that, you know, like, I'd agree that it, it's a, a game of football between two big rivals. You never, You never know. But on the other hand, I would honestly say that this is the least confident I've ever been going into a Liverpool and Man United game because we're atrocious at the moment. We're all over the shop, um, and we have injury to some injuries to some big players. Even with them players, I would still be not very confident going into this game. This is a great Liverpool team. It's the best I've ever seen in my life against the worst Man United team I've ever seen in my life. Um, I think when Deck was talking earlier, he kind of switched into the United game but I've heard him talk about it in other weeks that he and correct me if I'm wrong here Deck but you're not necessarily 100% happy with how Liverpool have been playing in games not uh, really yeah like yeah just but, because we don't put games away as comfortably as we've seen but I suppose on the flip side we're doing it rather than you know being an emphatic team that could score loads and then might not score against a team like we always look like we're going to score but we're just not as clinical as I would like us to be and that's that's where the worry is against United because you know if if United are at it as you said they're it's probably the one of the worst United teams ever but it's that badge and that ground that we're going to is what we're playing against rather than those group of players really I think and that's where my worry is if Liverpool were playing the football that they were playing probably I think we were in better form a lot of last year and if we were in that form at the moment, I'd be saying, yeah, it's a no-brainer. We're going to win 4 or 5-0. It's just the way the season has gone this season. It's, there's no game that stands out in my mind. Now, again, it's been so long since we've discussed it and it's been so long with the international break that my memory has been wiped completely clean. But I do think that uh, there hasn't really been many games this season where I've said, yeah, that's that's Liverpool now. That's what we've come to expect from last season. Um, you see, well, the point I was trying to get at by saying that, by leading you into that, was that I don't think Liverpool have been have always been that good, even through last season a lot of the time. I think they played their best season, best the really exciting football the season beforehand, but that's when they were kind of a bit of liability defensively. Liverpool yeah. are a winning machine now. They know how to win games, even when they're not playing well. The likes of that Leicester one before the international break, you just knew it was going to happen because that's that's the kind of team they are now. They just win football matches over and over. I don't think uh, this group of players, this Liverpool team, have that fear factor that Deck is talking about no. coming to Old Trafford. Well, yeah, but I, I would agree as well. It's you know, it's going to be it's going to be a hostile atmosphere for them, and I, I honestly think there is a bit of a because United are at such a low ebb, and you know, I think someone said that they almost have nothing to lose in this game because even their own fans are writing them off. You know that they might be able to put a performance. But you just look at the quality and the form all over the pitch. This is 
you know, derbies are like cup finals, the old saying goes, and maybe United will get something out of it, but I, I can't see, I just can't see how, how this Man United team can beat this Liverpool team at the moment. It, it's just, I, I, I really, really can't. United are so bad at the moment. Like, there was a picture, there was a picture that really struck me um, that came out after the Newcastle game of um, Andres Pereira arguing with Solskjaer on the side of the pitch. Now, yeah, Andres, so. Andres Pereira is a nobody, right? And he he's so if he's not having it off the manager of of your club, you can you can be pretty sure that the rest of the players aren't. You know what I mean? And yeah. like it it's that just shows shows kind of where where United are. And you know, I, like I don't how long they can continue with Solskjaer. You know, he's out today saying it's a long term plan and stuff. But the reality is that. Nearly every other Premier League fan can say they have a better coach than Man United at the club, and that's just insane. Like I'm talking Southampton, I'm talking Brighton, Bournemouth. Better the worrying, the worrying thing is, Peter, and you you watch Man U a lot more than me, but the worrying thing I would take from a, as a Man United perspective from that Newcastle game, and it was the the one game that really stood out for me was. I didn't see Newcastle doing anything too clever against Man U. It was just a lot of elbow grease. They, they played the two long staff lads, and they had to they had a couple of long long ranges which skimmed off the top of the bar and they got the fans behind them and there was a bit of you know just a buff and bluster from the home side and that's pretty much all it was really I don't think there's anything too fancy about Newcastle I don't think Steve Bruce teams have got anything too fancy in them um, but Man U didn't really seem to have an answer for it you know there was, there was just a team trying a bit harder and Man U didn't really seem to have an answer to that and that would be that was the most damning thing I think from that game yeah, but this is the thing. I'm like, it's it's not just that game. I think not nobody was shocked by that necessarily. Like West Ham bet us two 0 without West Ham didn't even have to play well. They didn't even have to get out of second gear. Like you can lose away to West Ham with the fans. They all you know they up their game. The fans get on your back. But like, like it was West Ham barely had to get a second out of second gear to beat Man United and. The game against AZ, they were dreadful. But the worrying part is Solskjaer, and I know he can't come out and do a Mourinho and just say, "Look, we're shit." But he's coming out and he's coming out and saying bizarre things now. Like we didn't have a shot, a shot on target against Alkmaar. He's given out that we didn't get a penalty. Saying after the Arsenal game, which was abysmal, I can really feel we're building something. And you can see that the play, like there's no patterns of play. Play the players aren't combining with each other. There's no coherent tactical plan it, it, it's a like it, it's really a mess um, that's what scares me Pete because yes, exactly. against Newcastle like it was, <laughs> it's it like was, a drunk person coming towards you you don't know what they're going to do <laughs> well against Newcastle it was fine because they, Newcastle weren't expected to have possession and this United team Solskjaer came in last year and it was play with, with pace play on the break and things like that that's what that's where United will cause trouble for Liverpool at the weekend. Against Newcastle, there was no space in behind. They couldn't break the lines with a pass. Their movement was atrocious. So they killed themselves with the ball. Whereas I think Liverpool are going to have a lot of the ball this weekend. And ordinarily you'd say, yeah, look, stifle them, frustrate the fans, let them get on their back. It will actually play into United's hands a bit. And the fans will get a bit more excited the more Liverpool have the ball because when United get it and they just try to play it in behind and have someone running, that's where it'll get fans off their off their seat a bit. And that's where that's where my bit of um my bit of worry is for this weekend's fixture. Now don't get me wrong, I'd be absolutely disgusted if this game finished in a draw because I think that's how far away from the teams that that's how far the standard is in these teams at the moment that Liverpool should be winning comfortably. Years gone by I'd have probably said I'd go to Old Trafford and I'd be happy with a point. But this year a point would be a disaster for all of the reasons we've said already, but that's where it does just play into United's hands a little bit because all they can seem to do at the moment is counter-attack. They can't do anything else. So it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what way the game is approached by both sides because both teams at the moment they could actually both teams playing their strongest game. We could be we could be in for a weird game really. Yeah, I, I we have to win deck, well. don't we? That's the thing. We we must win, and that's where the pressure's on us, really. Yeah. As that, that that's what I meant earlier when I said, "Man, you've got a free hit." Obviously, we're eight points clear, and we we've never been in this position ever in in thirty years of Premier League football, damn near. And you know, the, the pressure is right on us to keep that momentum, to keep that gap, to keep you know, keep sort of doling that misery on City. 
you know, that's where we've been in years gone by. We've got a great result, but then you're looking up the table and going, oh, Christ, we're still five, six points off the pace. And now we're the pace setters. We've got to make sure that we're going into these games and going, oh, you know what? A, a, a draw's out of the question. We must win this game. And, and we're going into our most difficult spell of the season. Yeah, exactly. Spurs at home coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's. I think this this sort of um, run of games is going to be the most interesting to see if we really have turned the corner mentality-wise. I know that sounds really harsh to say because we're, we're 15 straight wins and we're eight points clear, but um, it, it really will. So this game for me is a barometer of just how far we've come, I suppose. Just uh, d- as d- as dust a, off that I, tiny violin there, Peter. I know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I, when when the lads are talking, I can't. I can't help but think of Kevin Keegan. Just, I'd love it, love it, love it if we beat them. Well, You're yeah. fucking yeah. clutching at straws, no? Yeah. If that's what you think. I know, yeah, God, yeah. Well, well, well at least that worked <laughs> out well for him, you know. <laughs> I, I just no, but I think as well with the, like, I I can't see it happen. But football is just so full of these storylines that like. The worst yeah. United team in in let's be honest, like we're all of a certain age. The worst United team any of us us can remember. The best Liverpool team we can ever remember. Liverpool eight points clear. <laughs> Whatever they're like sixteen points ahead of United after eight games or something. Fuck's sake, we're going to lose three 0 aren't we? <laughs> Guaranteed. Mortgage, <laughs> mortgage on United. <laughs> About to equal the record of consecutive Premier League wins, like. It's it's like it's a Hollywood movie they're written already. So yeah, we'll we'll see if we get the happy ending or not. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's. On the face on the touchline as 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 man, you were winning, and he just stands there not knowing what to do. <laughs> He's just like confused by it all. <laughs> Let's uh, let's stay in Manchester, but we'll talk about City then, who are, well, actually, they're in London, they're away at Palace, and uh, Peter, I'll stay with you, they lost 2-0 to, uh, to Wolves last time out, and they're eight points behind, what's going on? Yeah, I think, well, like, the well the easy place to look is, obviously, centre-back, um, you know, Wolves, Wolves played the pretty much... Or, well, Wolves played like Wolves played play against big teams. They sat in, soaked up the pressure, and then they were ruthless on the counter attack. Um, so, yeah, it's easy to say City's issues come from the Laporte injury, and I'm, it's kind of hard not to say that because it is such such an obvious flaw they have at the moment. Um, but still, they they have the attacking players to put away. Yeah, to put away the vast majority of, of teams in the Premier League, but it's it's also the it's also the pace that Liverpool have set. You know, eight wins at eight twenty four twenty four um, points. City's total of of sixteen points back three four seasons ago before Man City kind of changed what was normal um, in terms of of what teams go for the league um, the kind of points they rack up. That that actually isn't that bad of a start to the season, really, you know. But the fact they've slipped eight points behind Liverpool and the form Liverpool are in, um, it it looks, it looks, it looks very difficult for City at the moment, especially because they're not going to be able to strengthen that glaring weakness in their back line until, <clears throat> sorry, until January, and even then it's going to be hard to bring a player in who's going to you know, be ready to have that kind of impact straight away. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult. You know, even even Van Dijk, one of the, the best central defensive signings, um, even Laporte himself, they both came in January and neither really had the big impact until they had the, the following full season under their belts, you know. City still play the best football in the league, but Liverpool are the best team at the moment at winning games and, and, and that's all that counts. That's not to say Liverpool aren't and don't play good football themselves. Yeah, it's it's like I I thought at the start of the season that Liverpool, not out of um, you know, bias or anything, I, I just didn't think Liverpool would be able to keep the pace that they set last season, but City would, but it's actually turned out the opposite. So yeah, it's it's just City are under so much pressure now, like every single game for them, like they just can't afford to to drop any more points at the moment, and you've no margin for error now, have you? That, that's no, the thing that's, with those made, results. You've no margin for error at all. They've made it really tough, and like De Bruyne has had had a couple of niggly injuries as well. 
you know, I don't. It, it was. It's been said so often that it was so amazing that they that they did so well last season with him out injured. And it's one of them things that people say over and over again, and people might get bored hearing it, but it's just so true because he's probably the best player in the Premier League on his day, you know. So, um, yeah, it's it's really, really, it's gonna gonna be really, really interesting. Look, having watched football my whole life, watched the Premier League, you'd have to think Liverpool are going to have a wobble at some stage, you know, and it's whether City can take advantage of that. But they're just under so much pressure at the moment. And you even think of when when they play Liverpool, which could be so defining, especially if Liverpool have a seven or eight point lead, you know, uh, like last season. I, I can't see City beating Liverpool without with that defence, you know. They, they struggle to beat them even when they had you know, Laporte and company around. So um, it, it's going to, yeah, it's 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 very much looking like Liverpool are, are, are very much in the driving seat. And City, I don't think they've been that bad. They've slipped to a couple of couple of shock results because of, of the Laporte injury. But it's not gone well because they've lost two games. But that's been really magnified by Liverpool's form, I think, Sam. Well, what about uh, Palace then, Deck? Can they pose more problems for them, or is this uh, a nice way to sort of ease their way back into it? It's it's a tricky game for them, but I I can't see them I can't see them losing the game really. I can't see Man City losing to Palace. Palace are on a on a decent enough run of form. The last three games, they're they won two, drew one. Before that, they lost to Spurs and they they beat Villa. Before that, so they're like they're sixth in the league. They're they're doing well. They're a typical Roy Hodgson team. So the only thing is it's Typical Roy Hodgson team, I don't think, is a real match for a proper attacking Man City team. They'll they'll have too much of them. Like I can't see. I know we'll say this about any any game where City have dropped points previously. You can't see them doing it. But really, after the break and after the way things went, it's it's almost a fresh start for Man City coming back after the international break. I don't know where Palace are going to really. You know, I can't see Palace digging in. Maybe maybe will Gary Cahill provide them with that? Kind of dominating defensive performance that that he's done for the last couple of weeks, and will it will it help him? Will they be able to use it on the break? I know the, I mean the the Wolves kind of blueprint from a couple of weeks ago is a good one for Palace to look at. They have got, no one has the pace that Amatrior has, but they have some of that pace with with Zaha, with you know Townsend if he plays. Uh, Jeffrey Schlupp is very quick, so. They have got quick players, so they can probably cause them a bit of trouble. But I really just don't think Man City are going to are going to give them the opportunity this week. I I can't see it happening. I just, just Jack, you'd almost you'd almost fancy Palace more if if it was away from home, wouldn't you? Probably, yeah. It would probably play into their hands a bit more. Um, I don't think their home form has been great. I could be wrong, but I don't think their home form not not this season, but in general, Palace haven't got unbelievable home form. So brilliant away form. Yeah, it's strange because it's a place where you'd expect them to be. You know, you think back at a game a few years ago where where Liverpool pissed the league away, and um, Palace came from three down, I think, and that was a game where you'd think Sellers Park is somewhere where is really difficult to go. Maybe it's just in massive games under the lights that they do it. Hopefully, it'll be nice and dark by the time this game kicks off at half five on uh, on Saturday and. And Palace can kind of get some of that atmosphere going and make it uncomfortable for Man City because that's the only way they're going to beat them. Make it uncomfortable, put them like you know, put them under pressure when they when they get the opportunity to break. But dig in, be dogged defensively, and big performances from their big players through the middle, and hopefully catch them on the break. I just don't see it though. I don't know. I, again, it could be the, the pessimist. They have a bizarre record against the top six clubs. I, I saw a stat against it re, about it recently. I can't remember the exact details of it, but basically they've beat, they beaten Arsenal, United. They beat Man City last year. Do you remember the Andrade's Townsend goal? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They've they nearly bet Liverpool, remember, away from home. So they actually have a, away from home. I think they... They've got the best record against the top six or something like that. So uh... well, that's that's what I was going to say, Peter, about about Palace because um, I I watched that I was at that game last season and basically they just put Zaha on Milner that entire game because we had Milner who was a makeshift fullback and if Man City's back four is a bit sort of slapdash and and makeshift and you've got a Fernandinho's at the back 
you know, you'd fancy him to do the same again and just put Sahar on the back four and push him back 10, 15 yards. It, it was bloody effective against us. It's not the most clever thing to do, but, you know, it, it, it works. It, it is an opportunity for them. I still fancy City, but they gave us one hell of a game at Anfield last season doing that. So you're saying there's a chance? Same as a <laughs> Very good. Uh, right, uh, let's go on to uh, Chelsea then, who are on a decent run of form. Uh, Ant, I'm going to go to you with this one. They're on a decent run of form, and their uh, championship striker, Tammy Abraham, could fill his boots against <laughs> Newcastle this weekend. Yeah, he's um, he's massive success story, isn't he? Um, Abraham and, 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 and the lad Mounts as well has been really impressive. Um, I'm, I'm still in two minds about Chelsea, about how it all how it's all going to fit in and come together because it, it, that's still a very young group of players and at the moment they're just enjoying themselves. There's not a there's not a, a, a ton of pressure on them to perform and and to, to get the results at the moment because there's still a lot of goodwill towards Lampard. There's an acknowledgement that it's a very young group together and you know it, it's a little bit maybe harsh to put so much expectation on them. But ultimately, when all that boils away and ebbs away, it's Chelsea Football Club and they've won 13 major honours in the past 20 years or whatever it is. Um, there's the expectation there ultimately to, to do well. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, eight, nine, ten games in now, whether that's actually going to start to become a factor in how they perform. You know, is Tammy Abraham just in a, in a purple patch or is he actually a, a genuine, you know, genuine striker? We've seen it before with... With, with strikers who were doing really well and it fades away and, you know, did he struggle to recapture that kind of form? Um, look at it, the lad Mount um, behind Abraham. He's been the, the, um, the, the player I've been most impressed with so far, just his movements and his, his running, his eye for a pass. If they turn up with that confidence and that zip and snappy play, they should just turn Newcastle on you one, really. Um, you, can, you, you know what's going to happen. Steve Bruce will just sit deep the way he, the way he always does against teams like that. Um, and it, it's I suppose it's down to Chelsea to have that discipline. Um, but looking at the likes of you know Jorginho, Barkley, Mount, they all seem to be enjoying the football at the moment, and you you do fancy them to to sort of unlock that deep sitting defensive line from Newcastle. So yeah, it, it, it it's all going well for for Chelsea at the moment. But it is one I'm. I'm watching with great interest from afar just to see how that all sort of works out this season as the pressure really starts to step in. I suppose yeah. it's kind of similar to the shot situation, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well, I, don't, I, mean, I don't think it's the same as that. I, Peter, I, I'm actually starting to come around to your thing that you've been saying for ages now that, you know, for, for a while I thought Chelsea... I think I said it last season, they're just going to go off the rails, they're going to disappear, the whole project's going to collapse. Now I've come around to your way of thinking, I think they're going to win a trophy this year. Yeah, no, I said it at the start of the season. I say it every year. Chelsea are the ultimate crisis club, but yet they just make a mockery of everyone else because they pick up a trophy every single year. They they all and and said thirteen. I don't have the exact facts, but I I'd go more thir, I think you said thirteen and twenty years. I'd say it's thirteen think, and fifteen years or thirteen. Yeah, 13 I think it is. Yeah, it's thirteen and fifteen years. I think it was after he won the Europa League, wasn't it? So, yeah. Like it, it, they just always like last season was bizarre, but like they got to the Carabao Cup final, they won the Europa League, um, and I do, I think, I think Chelsea look like a great foot. I think they'll finish in the top four, and I think they'll be a really, really good cup team. I think they can beat anyone on their day, but. Over the course of the season, they're they're a bit ropey defensively. I think I, not, not that I'm deliberately trying to disagree with everything you say here, but and but you kind of said that about so, a bit like Solskjaer. I, you see, that's the complete opposite for me because Solskjaer is saying he's building something. When United, there's nothing. They're nothing team. There's there's no no identity to their play. There's there's nothing positive about United. No, sorry, no, no. What I meant by uh, what I meant by the social comparison, sorry, Pete, was that when he actually when he came in as a caretaker, I meant that there was no pressure on him. There was a lot of goodwill towards Solskjaer when he came in. It's the same with Lampard now. He's a he's a club icon. He's a club legend. There's a lot of goodwill towards him from the uh, yeah. What happens? What happens when that ebbs away? You know. Yeah, but listen, I I I yeah I agree with you on that, but I, I think it's it's very clear. Um, you know. The, 
how how they're trying to play football. I as you all know, I absolutely love Mason Mount. I think he's class. And um, the way he presses, the way he passes, the way he his finishing is superb. I think he's a brilliant all round footballer. Um, his lovely his hair, hair, his skin, <laughs> his, eyes, <laughs> his eyes, the way he looks, flutters his eyelashes at you. <laughs> oh, he's a dream, he's a dreamboat. He's an absolute dream. But um, yeah, no, I I I've just been I've been obviously they're a bit ropey at the back, but another a player that's massively impressed me for Chelsea this year. And I'm happy for him is Jorginho, because we all kind of a lot of us wrote him off. I hear him. Yeah, well, he just looked—he just looked completely out of his depth in the Premier League, and you know teams were targeting him. But Lampard's kind of given him a bit more of a free role this season, and he's really kind of become part. Uh, Lampard said it himself; he's, he's become a leader within that team, and. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a good watch, Chelsea. You know what I mean? That's And you can see they are building something. Now, I, I think over the last few weeks, they've kind of hit their stride. They've, they've cut the goals going out at, at the back end and they're still scoring quite a lot. They're in fourth place, fourth or fifth place as far as I know. And uh, yeah, I, I think they look really good going forward. But of course, it's, it's classic Chelsea. Like they... They got a transfer ban. That's the only reason Lampard's in there. Otherwise, they would have probably hired a Max Allegri or something, and they wouldn't have let any of the kids. None of the kids would have got in. Um, another one, Tamori. He's looked really impressive as well. So, um, yeah, no. If if I was a Chelsea fan, I, I'd be very happy because even if you know results aren't going to be maybe what they'd expect at times throughout the season. They're still getting, you know, bang for their buck. They're seeing their team play entertaining football. Even, you know, the Liverpool game, Chelsea were really good in that, you know. Um, so, yeah, and it's just such a, like, polar opposites from the first day of the season when when United bet them 4-0. But, yeah, I suppose just to go back to your original point, Sam, yeah, I, I, I'd agree. I'd, I'd back them for top four and, and a trophy this season. They're just, they're a crazy, crazy club, Chelsea. Uh, right, should we have a, a go at the game then? Yeah. Uh, just in case you've forgotten the rules, I'm going to say a whole load of teams that a player has played for, and you tell me the team or the player by the teams that he's played for. So, uh, this first player began his career at Wimbledon. Ant. Ant. Uh, Jason Yule. Not Jason Yule, no. Uh, while at Wimbledon, he had a loan spell at Lincoln City and then a permanent deck. deck. It's Carl Court, isn't it? It actually is Carl Court, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have, do you have Carl Carl Court pajamas or something else? <laughs> no, Ant has been on about him for the last fucking six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Damn it, yeah. Eventually. Yeah, it's Carl Court. Went to Newcastle, Wolves, Leicester, Marbella, Nard City, Brentford, and finished up at the Tampa Bay Rowdies. So well done. Uh, congratulations. Well, yeah. You can't put his holidays in there, Sam, as well. <laughs> <laughs> it was the next fella who went to Crete. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he went to Cows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, then. Paddy Bunyan. Right. Next player, then, began his career at Leeds. Deck. Deck. Harry Kewell. Not Harry Kewell. Was that Leeds? Had a loan spell uh, during that time at Swindon Town. Aunt. Aunt. Uh, David Seaman. Not David Seaman, no. Went from uh, Leeds then to Newcastle United. Deck. Deck. David Barry? No. No. Went from Newcastle, had a loan spell, and then that turned into a permanent move to Aston Villa. Deck. Deck. Aunt. Fabian Delph. No. Peter. 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 James Milner. It's James Milner. Very good. I'll give you one more in this round then. Uh, this player began his career at a club called Jouet Le Tour. And then he went to a club called Tour. And then he went to a club called Guignon. Deck. Deck. Colatore. No. Can you can you pronounce them in a not French accent? Uh, well, the next one he went to was Paris Saint Germain, so there you go. That helps. There you go. Where PSG next? P PSG next, yeah. Peter. Peter. JJ. 
Not JJ, no. Uh, went from PSG to Newcastle on loan. And? And. Did you want to buy? No. Went from... Uh, so then obviously he continued his uh, spell at PSG before going to Manchester City. And it's Albert Riera. Who? Albert Riera. Nope. When from City to Portsmouth. And. And. Sylvan Distan. It's Sylvan Distan. Very good. A point apiece as we finish up that round. Very good. And uh, let's go on then and chat about... Oh, let's do Spurs then. They're playing Watford. And uh, Deck, I'll go to you with this because Spurs, I mean... They've just been gashed recently. Yeah, Jesus, what do you say about them? They're, f- what, they're what, shite what, at the what, moment. Like, what is going on? Because <laughs> Jesus, I'd actually, it's been so long Don't ago. The idea deck we talked. It's, yeah. it's, but it's it's been so long ago. I actually forgot. So they lost seven two to Bayern and lost three 0 to Brighton. That's their last two results. Ah, uh, but Aaron Connolly was playing against them for Brighton, yeah. so you're leaving him off with that one. That's true. What can you do about that kind of talent? But you know, you know. He's the next Ballon d'Or winner, him and Mason Mount. So, um, yeah, I mean, Watford are brutal, aren't they? I mean, they miss open goals for fun. So that should probably suit Spurs because they give a lot of chances away to teams in front of goals. So uh, surely this is where Spurs get back on track. I mean, I can't see, I can't see Watford beating them. It's, I think the the international break would probably have reset Spurs a bit as well. You'd think that. I know. I mean, most of their players will have been away, you know. Yeah, but that might do them a bit of good. They've Ah, gotten out there and got to got to play in teams that a lot of them won their international games, you know. So they're coming back now with maybe a feel good factor. I think Pochettino actually said it after the Brighton game that he was delighted that they had an international break as well, which is he seems really dejected. So I'd say he probably just wanted to see the back of the players and let them get out the door and go in and have a think for himself. And I'm. I'm fairly certain that this is where they'll they'll kind of sort themselves out again. I, yeah, I mean Watford are terrible. Like they have been so poor this season, and not just not just the the Man City game. Like they've been shocking. The change of manager didn't really seem to change much. I don't think from what I've seen of them. Um, admittedly, not a load, but bits I've seen. And if you if you watch even just matches a day, Watford just as I said, it will use missed an open goal a couple of weeks ago. Then you'd Andre Gray missed. I think two in another game. They're, I think they look absolutely bereft of confidence. So, you know, you could make a case that this is the ideal team to play against. But as I said, after the international break, I just, I don't think Watford are going to cause Spurs too many, too many problems because, as I said, the players have gone away. They've gotten, got a chance to play in winning teams again. Get, get that feel good factor back. You think, come back a, a refreshed Pochettino. I think he's really good, really good coach, really good manager, and or. Sorry, he's not a manager. Sure, he's not. He's a really good head coach, and uh, I think he's uh, he's going to get. He's he's one of the top coaches in in Europe. Let's be honest. So this is where he proves his worth now. Where he's he's had a really a really big blip. Now we talk about the the Bayern game, and you know I don't think it was a seven two game. Bayern took seven of probably nine chances or something like that. So you know that. That's a bit of an anomaly. Like Brighton, I think Brighton did deserve to win the game. Brighton had a good game plan and and did a job on them. As I said, Aaron Connolly was brilliant. In fairness, his movement was good. The way the way Brighton's formation worked was really good. Their players, their movement was good. Um, the way they used possession was good. Spurs looked a bit toothless. I just think that they'll they'll come back in in a different mindset now after the break. And like I was going to say it earlier when we were talking about um, Newcastle and Chelsea. The break comes at a terrible time for some teams, like Newcastle after after beating United. Then they go they go away, have a, have a couple of weeks off, and and Chelsea are coming back. You know, it's kind of a similar game plan they're going to have. Watford, I don't think they're they're good enough to to have done anything in the to to get themselves right in the international break. Whereas Spurs, their players are of a certain type of quality that I think that's the best thing possible for them that they're going to come back and they're they're going to show a little bit of what they what they have and they're going to use this game to build into their their Champions League game and and their game against Liverpool that they're they're going to get their confidence back. No, if they if they don't and if they lose, I think we could be seeing the end of Pochettino very soon, but I I just think 
I just think they'll get themselves sorted for this one. Oh, there's a, there's a lot to sort of unpack in that. Uh, Ansel, I'll go to you first. Do you, do you think, uh, do you agree with Jack? Do you think that this could be like a turning point or even if they win, is it just a sort of a one-off? Is there a larger problem with Spurs like uh, yeah. like Coleman's been talking about for a while here? I mean, Loris is out now with that awful elbow injury he had. There's definitely, there definitely are underlying issues there. I think, um, you know, the, the, the two results there, you, you can argue Brighton away in the 7-2 games. It, it, they are freak results, perhaps. There is an argument to make that point, but then there's also more concerning results like throwing away two goal leads away at Olympiacos and away at Arsenal. Um, you know, the, the thing I've sort of taken from looking at Spurs over the past few weeks, um, it all boils back down to Pochettino. And, you know, you, you talk about teams having cycles and stuff like that. And I think maybe, you know, maybe it's too simplistic to say the cycle's coming to an end for these players. But I think last season took so much out of them emotionally. If, if if you look at Pochettino after that um, that Ajax game, he was in bits, you know, and rightly so. It was a monumental achievement and such a historical comeback. But you know, he, he was on his knees, he was crying, he was, he, you know, there, there is an argument perhaps to make that he's just emotionally, mentally drained from it all. Um, you know, Jurgen Klopp alluded to it when he was talking about his, his Liverpool future, and he he said he's either all in or not at all. And I think maybe some of these modern young coaches are a bit like that. You certainly get the impression doing your reading and your homework on Pochettino, he's a very emotionally attached guy. And maybe he's seen a few things that he doesn't like, some of the contract talk, Ericsson wanting to go, maybe he's really taken that to heart or doesn't like to see this cluster of good players he's brought together and, and finally sculpted and um, start to break away, um, starting to show signs of fatigue themselves. You know, OK, he signed a few plays in the summer, but Lo Celso's only played three times. Um, you know, Sessegnon's yet to play. Um you know, so there is that, you know, that sort of squad that they've got. Is it tired? Is it starting to fragment? And is Pochettino maybe looking at that and thinking, well, you know, I've just taken the club to a to a Champions League final and lost it. Am I going to get another chance to win something again? I'm out the League Cup in the first round. Um, they're, they're facing a real big challenge now to get out the group again in the Champions League. They seem to do things the hard way all the time. And whether Pochettino is just now looking at it and maybe thinking, you know, Jesus... How how long term do I look at this? Does there are potentially other opportunities in Europe and and, and Manchester United sniffing around him? So maybe it all boils back down to uncertainty at Spurs. But there's definitely something underlying um, wrong. The way you know they're still technically a good team, but the, the mentality mentality wise, they look a little bit dejected. And yeah, okay, they, they can go and, go and beat Watford, but they've already given themselves so much to do now in the league as well. Um, that you, you look at it again, and uh, will another bad result trigger another string of bad results? Um, it's not not the sign of a team in you know going in the right direction for me. Peter, uh, what about Pochettino then? Because uh, the lads have both sort of alluded to the mental strain, perhaps that he's been under over the past eighteen months or, or more. If can if results continue to go badly, do you think he'd walk, or would he have to be pushed? And would you still have him at United? I'd have him at United all day long. Um, yeah, he would. absolutely all day long. Like he, he will come in and 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 create a create a culture and actually live up to all the buzz talk. And he has a defined style style of play. But it's the nature of the performance against Brighton that was so alarming. I think for everyone, you know, Laurie's is out injured and it's you know with terrible injury. And I wish him all the best, but. I don't think too many Spurs fans will be that upset. His form has been dodgy, not just this season, probably throughout throughout last season as well. Even there, like Spurs, <clears throat> up until last season, say the season before last, Spurs starting eleven were as good as anyone in the league, and they were one of the best teams to watch. They played with such intent in intensity, but that's gra- like their stats are just gradually going down. Now we talked for a long time last season about. That group of players just having too, having played too much football, and Ant said there about the cycle. Football goes in cycles. Pochettino recognised that, and in the summer he tried to break the squad up and bring a lot of new players in, but he wasn't able to get rid of of the likes of Danny Rose and and these other players, and he wasn't able to get the players in that he wanted. The likes of Ericsson. You know, Daniel Levy is just it, like we, we named the pod the Hotel California, uh, you know, after Spurs because it just seems it's such a hard club to either either join or leave at times. You know, Levy is is such a, a hard negotiator. It's a, it's been a minor miracle he's done what he's done there, considering you know 
they had a lower wage bill last season than than Crystal Palace lads. So how they've managed to even keep that squad together for so long has has yeah. been amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I think they. I, I'd be really worried if I was a Spurs fan, and I'd say Colum is just delighted with himself. Adam got the cream just going around because he's been saying for best part of a year it's just so fragile it could it could fall apart at any time and and I, I do think it's 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 falling apart now for Spurs. There's just there's just so like you know for Tongan, Alder World, Ericsson, their heads are all elsewhere. Danny Rose is kind of very up and down in his form. Um, Harry Kane. He, he was very good for England the other night, but there's an I have a niggling suspicion that he's been rushing himself back from ankle injuries too much. He's maybe lost something a little bit. Um, then, like De, like Delhi Ali's Delhi Ali's form has has fallen off a cliff. You know that that's really a lot of the, uh, them players were, were the core of 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 their success. And but uh, for sure, like I, I would have him still have him at United because. He, he makes players better. Like so many of them players, you know, w- wouldn't be the players they are today had it not been for Pochettino. You know, so um, he's he's a brilliant coach, and I think even if it does go very sour um, over the next few weeks, months, I, I think people will still be queuing up to 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 bring him to their clubs because he's barely had any money to spend. He, he's He's been at a club that don't pay big wages. He's done it all with, with one hand tied by, behind his back. He has the w- would they sack him though, Peter, or would he walk? I I think. Well, listen, you'd be a, you'd be an absolute gobshite if you're a Premier League manager to to actually walk away and give up a severance package. You'd be a fool. Like you know, people talk about having principles. I'm sorry, that's just stupid. Um, but I do think I do think that. Um, I think something would happen quite quickly between him and Levy, whether it's a severance, instead of just getting the full contract paid up, they might come to an agreement because I don't think he'll hang around if it starts to turn. And I don't think Levy will uh, will let him hang around either. So I think something could quite happen quite quickly there. But it just shows really that, um, yeah, like Man United are in disarray, Spurs, Spurs, You'd probably say they still have a good chance for the top four, but Chelsea and Arsenal on current form are, are looking better. You know, even even maybe Leicester. So um, yeah, tough. It's gonna it's gonna be a tough. I, I thought Spurs would drop out of the um, of the top four last season, but they ended up you know proving proving me wrong. And I kind of had the feeling again this season with them. A bit like the Chelsea thing, Sam. Whereas you just kind of give up trying to predict, and it's all going to fall apart because they just keep seem to keep doing it. But it does really look look like it's it's starting to to unravel because so much of it has been built on sand. Realistically, you know what I mean. So um, yeah, a, a tough season ahead for Spurs, I think. And I think Puck, I think Man United should be doing everything they can to get him into into the club. Um, because they, they made a big mistake not going after him next, last season. He, he's the ideal candidate for United. And um, yeah, as a Man United fan, that, that would be my perfect scenario. Would, would be... As a Liverpool fan, Peter, I don't want him to go there. So that, 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 <laughs> that speaks volumes. I think if you ask any Liverpool supporter, they don't want Poch at Old Trafford. You know, he, he is a top class coach. He, he, I think he'd do very, very good things there. Uh, Definitely. And they'd be foolish to sack him. Spurs would be foolish to sack him. Yeah, they would. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to Arsenal then. As Peter mentioned, uh, they're playing pretty well at the moment, and uh, their young players did really well against Standard Liège when they beat them four nil in Europe. They beat uh, Bournemouth one nil, and they're up against Sheffield United this weekend. Uh, Ant, I'll go to you. Uh, this won't be an easy one for them, though, will it? No, uh, big Chris Wilder's uh, already doling out the nuggies as well to his players <laughs> to get them up and, and motivated. He was um, he was talking, wasn't he? Saying he wants to create this sort of intimidating atmosphere, and um, I'll be totally honest. Sheffield United have probably given us our most difficult game this season um, so far. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that being said, on another day, if we take our chances that, that we had in that game, we win it comfortably. So um, there is still that sort of quality issue for Sheffield United. I, I do think Arsenal will go there and win. Look, looking at Arsenal from the first eight games, though, going into this game against Sheffield United, they, they very much remind me of um, Liverpool when we had Steven Gerrard. 
Um, Liverpool was so overly dependent on him to pull us out of the mire so often and he, he almost single-handedly got us top four places in, in a few of them seasons when he was there and I think if you look at Arsenal it's a very similar situation with Aubameyang now up front um, I've said it before if you take him out that team they are bang average and with all the problems at the back you'd worry about them um, but with him in he just seems to lift the players around him because he's such, he's such a talented footballer he's quite charismatic on the pitch I think he actually missed a trip, not making him the captain. Um, if I'm being honest, I know there's, there's been question marks about his mentality off the pitch in the past, um, but he's he's such a good player. And, you know, I think with him in the team, you've always got to punch his chance of winning a match. Um, you know, they, they, they've actually, they, they've only lost one of the last eight games in all competitions, which is bloody good form. Um, you just don't know with Arsenal. You know, I, I always go on about it like a broken record, but if you've got such a bad defence... It's only a matter of time before you become unstuck. And um, as I say, Sheffield United did cause us a few problems on the counter-attack. Um, Van Dijk and Matip had to work very hard, as did Fabinho in that game, to close up a lot of the space. You were, Liverpool were pressed aggressively. And if there are question marks about Arsenal's mental strength as well, will they cope um, in such a hostile atmosphere? <laughs> it is tough. But as I say, with, with the forward line that they've got, they've always got that chance of winning. Uh, they're just such a hard team to call because they're, they're so good going forward and so abysmal going back. There's no in-between with them at all. Tech, is there anything kind of new to talk about Arsenal, really? I mean, I know it's been a while since we were here and sort of just bigger picture about the team. Has anything changed, you know, maybe with those young players that they brought in for that European game? Or is there a chance that we might see see some of them playing in the Premier League? Yeah, we, there's a chance we'll see them play, but I don't think there's a chance we'll see them play any differently. Their young players are really good attacking-wise, but uh, Anne said it, their, their problems have always been defensively, and I don't, I don't know, is there anything changed there? Like, um, The thing is, it probably Sheffield United at home, seeing Arsenal's vulnerabilities, taking what the blueprint they had against Liverpool, will they, will they, will they go after them? Will they sit off? Will they try and try and get after the defenders and cause mistakes but Sheffield United haven't haven't been brilliant at home they haven't been they haven't been brutal but they haven't been brilliant at home and I think it's where the expectation is at home of of the type of football they play it may just kind of let Arsenal off the hook a little bit in this one um yeah to answer the question I don't see anything different in Arsenal than that that any of those young players bring only a little bit more energy and exuberance but are they? They're probably more naive defensively, and fucking hell, you can't get any more naive than their experienced <laughs> players at the back. So, like, I, I'm back in Sheffield United, lads. I think I think it'd be a good game, like, but I don't think. Yeah, he, hearing, hearing what you guys are saying, I'm, I'm agreeing Arsenal with you, Peter. Are, yeah, Arsenal are abysmal away from home. No, but I mean, I'm actually physically backing them. I'm putting money on them, like you know, <laughs> it's the perfect um, fixture for Arsenal. You know, Rosh's home crowd, newly promoted team, top team with a terrible away record. It's just, it just all leads to a famous, famous win for the Blades, really, for me. Like, Billy Sharp, Patrick, written all over it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I, one thing I have to say, though, like, is, do you remember with one of the last pods we did, it was after Arsenal's absolutely comical 2-2 draw with Watford, where it just basically descended into pointing and laughing for five to ten minutes. And it was I like it was great crack, don't get me wrong. But like at the time me and Colin were saying, like, at least with you know, with United it's a bit dull and stuff, but you know, at least with like with Arsenal, it's actually it's worse almost because you they give you this hope and then take it away. But I've actually in the week since I've actually changed my opinion because with United there's just nothing. It there it's just a nothing team defensively, midfield, at, at going forward. There's nothing to latch on to. There's nothing to be positive about. Whereas with Arsenal, at least they are good going forward, even if they're keystone cops at the back. At least there is some joy in watching them play attacking football. Do you get me? Whereas I actually changed my opinion. I I'd I I'd all I would take being good going forward than just the nothingness that Man United has become. <laughs> uh, well, we've almost got up to the fifty-five minutes of uh, United bashing, uh, and that you predicted before we started recording. Um, let's uh, well, let's. Pre- 
it's a quota, you know what I mean? It's exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, right, shall we have another round of the game? Yeah. It's a point yeah. apiece as we stand. So uh, just the rules again. I'm going to say a whole load of teams that a player has played for. You tell me the player by the teams that he's played for. And uh, the next player began his career at Crystal Palace. Deck. Deck. Ian Wright. No. Peter. Peter. Alan Pardew. Not Alan Pardew, no. Went from Crystal Palace to Aston Villa. Ant. Ant. Gareth Southgate. It is Gareth Southgate. I thought I'd have you going for a while there. Only played at three clubs, uh, Palace, Villa and Middlesbrough, and played uh, well a lot of times for each of them, 152, 191 and 160. I thought that was interesting. You should have played for Liverpool's top-class defender, Southgate. Uh, next player began his career at uh, West Ham. Went from West Ham to Man United. Deck. Deck. Uh, I'm after having a blank. Forget I said anything. Uh, <laughs> went from United to Inter. Peter. 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 Oh, I, I think, think you there. all said that at the same time. <laughs> I really we don't know it. <laughs> all right, who is it? Paulins. It's Paulins. All right, but yeah, I'm not going to give a point for that one. Uh, right, next player began his career at a club called Dagger Fours IF. Peter. Peter. Yang Inga Fortoff. No, went from there to, uh, I'm going to say Ike. A-I-K. Yeah. A-I-K, yeah. Um, Peter. Peter. Get, uh, Jesper Blomqvist. No. Ant. Ant. Olaf Melberg. It is Olaf Melberg, oh, right. Oh, oh. Yeah. That's, I, knew, I, I knew it was the Swedes there with the AOK. Uh, that's, uh, that's your winner there. Well done, Ant. Congratulations. Uh, just time then for Prick of the Week. Yeah. Huh? Manager free. Football manager free with all the Swedes. That's that one. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, right, just time for a prick of the week then. Uh, Dek, I'll start with you this week. Yeah, my one is uh, Krasimir Balakov, the Bulgarian national team manager. Um, I know he's since kind of backtracked a little bit after saying, well, basically, he's a prick because he said that in the game against England, he didn't hear any of the racist chanting. He didn't see anything happening. He didn't hear anything happening. But he also said in the same interview that he heard some of the stuff that the England fans were saying and that they were the ones who were in the wrong. How you can hear one crowd in a completely different language in the same ground, the minority of the crowd as well, abusing your your players and whatever and completely not see and completely ignore what the Bulgarian fans or so-called fans were doing. Um, I know, as I said, he, I think he, he may have backtracked a little bit on it but he said it in the first place and it's absolutely ludicrous he, 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 he took the the Arsene Wenger approach to like an extreme didn't he really like yeah like mean, the, and I know it's not a fu- it's, I know it's not a funny thing or anything but um, yeah like what a pressure and I think like Sam honestly like you know I'm gonna go with the, the exact I, I think the week that's in it I, I don't know Ant would probably agree as well, as well. I, I'm gonna go with uh, Balakoff uh, as well because yeah it's just just dis- d- disgraceful um, carry on by him and it's just cowardly really to, to come out and, and, and say that after the game and, and just the, the whole carry on of, of the Bulgarian media and and all the rest was, was just really yeah it was d- disgraceful carry on and like I, I sp- like in, in the build up he had said that that England um, that, that England have have problems at home basically people in glass houses shouldn't be be throwing stones and I actually agreed with him to a certain point on what he was saying before the thing before the game and I, I the Guardian did a very good podcast on uh, racism and football and to be fair the lads agreed with it as well you know a lot of the leading journalists that you know known as you know known as ignorant to that fact but to come out afterwards and just completely you know, disregard disregard what had happened and pretend it didn't happen. It well, negates which... the point. It negates the point okay. when when he they say something like that in the build up and yeah, they're they're quite accurate. But then when what happens in the game happens, your your point is null and void. And then to go on afterwards and say what he said makes it even worse. Like, what did you think of uh, the England team's reaction, lads? Would you have taken them off, or do you think the way to do it is stay in the pitch and beat them? Well, I think they really got they really made. They made they made their point. They showed they were serious, and they absolutely spanked them on the on the um, on the pitch. 
But and I have to, I, I have one thing I have to say now. It it's it's almost it, it's it's bred into me to dislike English football managers, and it takes an awful lot for me to say it. But I have to say, and I, I you know, I've Garrett Southgate really is a class act. The way he he handles himself and stuff. Um, you know, he he's he just a really decent man who 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 carries himself very well in very difficult situations. Um, you know, it's a very multicultural squad, the England one, and he's yeah, he he he's he handles him, him, himself brilliantly. And and to be fair, the the players handle themselves well as well. So like, hats off to them in that situation. I think as well, just just to point out, um, with those comments that your man made. He actually was asked about what the captain was doing at halftime. I mean, Evelyn Popov uh, went over to the fans, like pleading with them to stop the, the racist abuse and stuff. And and he was asked afterwards about that, the manager, and he said, no, I think he was just explaining to them how the performance wasn't good enough because we were losing. I mean, what a Oh, come on, are you serious? Jeez, I didn't hear that now. That is, that is yeah, dreadful. Yeah, that he said, what a prick. Yeah, yeah, well, what a prick. What a, what a, that's a... That's a, the famous gaggle of pricks back again. I don't know. Uh, Ants, are you going to make a clean sweep? Well, to be honest with you, um, my prick of the week is sort of centred around the same point, but I, I disagree with them staying on the pitch. I think somewhere somebody has got to make a point, and I think it's York needs to come back to UEFA. If, if they take the players off the pitch, you put the ball squarely back in UEFA's court and say, you need to do something about this because... It's all fairly well and being wise after the events and condemning it and stuff like that, but they've let this come to a head and they've done nothing about it but take half measures and give poxy fines and half stadium closures. If England had walked off the pitch, by every right to do so, and I actually admired them for staying on and, and putting Bulgaria to the sword, but they did they, have forced UEFA into doing some affirmative action rather than doing half measures. And, and, I, and that, that's all right when it's Bulgaria who you can batter. What if it's some other team that, like beat you and racially abuse you. You know what I mean? But, that you're just... This is what I'm saying, though. This is what I'm saying. We, we, there needs to be some sort of, you know, declarative statement, like, like mm. a watershed moment to force UEFA to do something. I've, I, you know, all these sort of half measures, but, you know, stadium bans, fines. You, you say to Bulgaria, right, you're, you're ineligible to qualify for the next two tournaments. Yeah. You know, you, you force the team to walk off the pitch. You, you are no longer allowed to compete in these next two tournaments because you're just a gang of bricks. Yeah. So, sorry... Oh, it's 2019. What are you doing? You know, winding in. Um, you know, yeah. and uh, the, the needs. I think UEFA need to do something strongly about it. Not not hand out fines, which are half as bad as players wearing betting logos and stuff like that. It, it's all just silly. There's a catalogue of um, inadequate sort of responses from UEFA over the last 20 years. They've let this fester, and they need to do something about it. Definitely. Well, what happens then, though? That I, but it, it's going to happen sooner or later. I like. I think. I, I think nearly everybody expected it to happen in that game because England had said beforehand it was going to happen. It, like, it wasn't a surprise, if you know what I mean, because that's what much of the build-up to the game focused around. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just think, like, can you imagine, imagine England had been 1-0 down and they had walked off. Can you, you know, then it's going to be how they walked off because they were one nil down. You know what I mean? So I don't think, I don't think the score should come into it. I, I don't. No, I, I, know, I, I know, but I'm saying that's what some people will use as an excuse as well, though. Maybe, yeah. I just, I, I think people will use that as an excuse to maybe sort of avoid the main issue, and I think that's what UEFA have been doing um, for the last yeah. ten or fifteen years. It's not done anything effective about it, and I think that's it. Does need something to happen? I actually admired all the all the players before that game, so we're going to walk off the pitch. I was like, good on you, because that's what needs to happen. It mm. happened, and, um, it's, it's only happened a couple of times. I think AC Milan have done it in, a, in an Italian Cup game against a fourth-tier team, but it needs something really high-profile like that to happen. And uh, it would have made a, a really big statement if England had been three or four in the up at half-time. So, you know what, sod this. Even if we have to scrap the three points, we're, we're walking off. We're not tolerating this for our it's, players. It shouldn't need that, though. It should, as you said earlier, it should be away for saying, right, you're banned from the next two, yeah. two campaigns. Yeah. It, shouldn't, it shouldn't be a case of we need the players to make a stand. It should just be UEFA saying, and, and, and the wider scale of things, FIFA, it should be just, this is, this is unacceptable. This is, this is the, the moment where we've said enough, enough is enough. And the big moment that we need is them to lay down the, the law and you know, come down with a, with a ton of bricks on them and, and said, we're not going to tolerate it anymore if you 
if you do it once more in a game. It was, it was clear. It was clear as day in this game what happened. So it should be a case of if there's ever any more racist abuse within any Bulgarian national team, club game, whatever, the whole country, they should be banned from international competition. They should be banned from uh, domestic uh, like as in club international football, club, yeah. club yeah exactly and yeah. and do it to any other any other country that it happens to. obviously if it's like that's because it's a national team but let's say something happens in a game I think um, it, let's say one of the one of the inter- or the Champions League games coming up this week if it's we'll just say for example if Atalanta are accused of racially abusing someone on on the opposition team then Atalanta are just kicked out of the kicked out of the Champions League that's that if it happens again with another Italian club that's that if it happens with a third into Italian club grant your your whole league are banned from the competition for the next season or the next two seasons or whatever and that's the way it, that's the way it needs to go in order to actually properly yeah, tackle this yeah and to to be fair lads like as much as as much as I said at the top I agree that you know that that, that there are there are still issues in English football as well. To be fair, um, I think there's been some issues recently that I don't know probably have got to do with the, the kind of political climate at the moment. But to be fair, English football is way ahead of most of the rest of Europe when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like it was only like it still happens in Spain sometimes. Um, until very recently, anyway, Italy it's notorious. Um, and, and the eastern the eastern states, which you know you, you tend to draw in in Euro qualifiers and stuff, it's it's rampant. Like so, to to, to be fair, English football is kind of one of the the better countries in Europe as well. I think that has to be said as well. You know. Well, uh, there you go, uh, Bulgarian fans, Bulgarian managers, and UEFA. What a bunch of bricks. Uh, that's it. And uh, I know we've been away for the last couple of weeks. We'll be away again for another couple of weeks. I think uh, I'm off on holiday, so sorry about that. But make sure you subscribe. And next time we're back, uh, that next episode will just pop up immediately in your phone. In the meantime, keep an eye on thefootballfaithful.com for lots more great content. And just time to say thanks to Peter. Thanks, Peter. Who approved them holidays, Sam? (laughs) Sorry. Is this is this on? (laughs) Uh, Deck, good luck. Thanks. Enjoy them. Holidays. I will indeed, uh, and see you next time. Yes, enjoy my bay, mate. Uh, <laughs> right. and I'll see you next time. <laughs> I will. Myself and Carl living it up in Tenerife. Right, have a good one, boys. I'll see you later.